0: AgriTalk is brought to you by full scale from helena grow strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from full scale at reproduction and by propane propane is the energy for everyone especially farmers environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm see how at propane.com you know i'd like to think or at least hope that you all did a little risk management when it comes to overeating at the Thanksgiving dinner table. And if you didn't, don't worry about it. We got the full serving of risk management conversations coming your way.
1: Live from Turkey Day via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, it's a conversation with Adriano Santos and Kevin McNew from FBN. And later, Dr. Steve Lerner from Christian Hansen. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. And now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Talk, Chip Flory.
0: All right, Davis, are you okay? Wake up, my friend. I'm groggy, homie. Wake up.
1: Groggy. So groggy. Yeah.
0: You know, it's okay. You know, maybe, maybe just a, a glass of ice water, something like that, something a little refreshing. So uh-huh. Just keep it handy for the show so that, you know, if you need it, you can toss it on yourself or something and, and, well, and wake yourself up.
1: Yeah, and I got to tell you, I'm I'm yeah. one turkey day meal deep, and I got one more to go later yeah. on tonight. Did lunch Good. now. I'm about to go do supper a little later.
0: Good deal. <sighs> Good deal. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you right now, I'm going to have pie during the show today.
1: Attaboy. Attaboy.
0: Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Why, why, why wouldn't would I? you not? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If
1: there's pie to be eaten, why not eat it? You know, you, and you've said before, when the pie is passed, you take a piece of pie. That's right. I've heard you say that. <laughs> I, in fact, I've written it down when you've said that with little quotes <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Then we got to the fourth segment. You know, Chip, you said something that was very interesting to me. <laughs>
0: That's how it went. <laughs> So why would I sit here and watch watch friends and family uh-huh. pass the pie around yeah. and not take a piece during the show? It's not going to happen. It would happen. be, it would be it.
1: hypocritical is what it would it be. It would
0: be. It yeah. absolutely would be. Welcome to AgriTalk. The markets were closed today, but we've got a double dose of risk management conversation coming your way. Adriano from FBN is going to talk about risk management on the input side of things. And Kevin McNew, the chief economist there at FBN, is going to talk with me about uh, risk management on the output side, the, the grain sales side of things. Mm-hmm. So Good. we've got you both covered and uh, ready to go there and, and looking forward to the conversation with the guys from FBN. So with that, Davis, yes. let's go ahead yes. and jump into it. what you got for news today.
1: Well, Chip Grain, traders continue to look to the outside markets for price direction, and this week's price pressure on the U.S. dollar index likely helped to limit overall selling interest in wheat futures. However, reports the U.S. imported some cheap wheat from Europe this month will be a wet blanket on the market for the near term. March SRW wheat futures were trading near support at 8 bucks. The ability to hold above that pivotal level will be critical for the wheat market going forward. Traders say the availability availability of wheat from ukraine will also be a headwind to higher prices on wednesday march hard red winter wheat futures were seven and three quarters cents higher, nine nineteen and three quarters march soft red wheat firm to three cents eight thirteen and one half march spring wheat closed at nine fifty two and a quarter up two cents on the day a reminder those are yesterday's closes markets are closed today
0: markets closed today the march srw contract had been flirting with support there at eight bucks so to see it even just $0.03 cents higher going into the Thanksgiving break, yeah. I think that's that's a positive sign. The HRW market kind of led the way to the upside. It's got to be because of those crappy uh, mm. crop conditions out in HRW country.
1: Yep. Well, March corn futures yesterday stayed well within the boundaries of the three-week-long sideways trading range. The market remains on edge ahead of what are likely to be shipping disruptions, ahead of a potential rail workers' strike in yep. early December. On the demand side, traders were impressed yesterday with ethanol production in the weekend of November 18. That averaged 1.041 million barrels per day, up 30,000 barrels from the previous week. Ethanol stocks, however, surged to the highest level in 10 weeks and were 13.2% above the same week last yeah. year. At the close yesterday, March corn futures were 7 cents higher at 666 and one quarter. May corn up 6 and three quarter cents, 665 and a half. July corn futures closed at six sixty, up six and one quarter cents. Chip, that sideways trading range is inside a longer term sideways trading range, isn't it,
0: Chip? It is. It Uh, is. And it's all inside what we've seen over the past week is all inside of last Tuesday's single day trading range. That's the day that a couple of missiles landed three miles inside of Poland. mm. Okay. That's how sideways this market has been Now, on the ethanol data that, that was out for the week, ended yeah. November 18, the big increase in production, the big increase in stocks ahead of a potential rail strike makes me think that maybe there is some positioning going on in the ethanol industry to get out in front of some of those possible disruptions hmm. in shipments uh, that, that might be ahead.
2: Well,
1: USDA yesterday announced a small sale of U.S. soybeans for delivery to China in the current marketing year. But at least the market got a sale to talk about. That countered concerns that China's COVID shutdowns could lower overall soybean demand. The ability of both soybean meal and bean oil to close higher yesterday will have traders eyeing higher prices when trade returns to a regular schedule next week. January Bean Futures ability to close above support at 1425 on Wednesday helped to build some upside momentum. When trade wrapped up on Wednesday, January beans were six and one quarter cents higher, fourteen thirty-six. March beans up five and a half cents, fourteen forty-two. July soybeans closed at fourteen fifty-one. That was up a nickel.
0: You know, we are really close to flipping the calendar to December. Yeah. And once that once that happens. Every day is going to be about South American and in particular Brazilian weather, so it uh, we we've got we're going to have a weather market either to the upside or to the downside mm. in this bean market coming up really soon.
1: March cotton futures posted an inside trading day on Wednesday. The contract has established eighty cents as support with strong resistance near the eighty-seven cent level. March cotton was forty-eight points higher, eighty-two ninety. On the livestock side, choice boxed beef prices were slammed heading into the Thanksgiving break, and that chased buying out of fat cattle futures. February live cattle filled Monday's upside price gap and posted a downside reversal on Wednesday. When the markets settled yesterday, February cattle were a buck lower at 155.42 and a half. April live cattle dropped 77 and one cents, 159.12 and a half. January feeders two dollars 42 and one half cents lower, 179.25. And on the snout side, February lean hogs yesterday traded on both sides of 90 bucks for the seventh consecutive day. On yesterday's close, February hogs 127 and one half lower at 88.80, and April hogs fell 95 cents to 94.60. Chip?
0: Okay, Davis, as you were doing this summary here, all of a sudden a theme started to kind of develop in my head about some of the recessionary concerns that the market is dealing with. We've got, as far as fuel consumption goes, Mm -hmm. uh, the the corn market is going to be concerned about just how much gasoline we use going forward because Mm -hmm. that determines how much we're going to be blending. Uh, So that's something that we need to keep in mind uh, as as we think about this corn market. Recessionary concerns in cotton and the apparel sales, Uh, recessionary concerns on demand for beef, on demand for pork. Boy, the the outside markets as we think about how things are going to be trading going forward, I think are going to be yep. having an even bigger impact on on day to day price action than what we have seen so far. All right, hey, thank you so much for tuning in today on a Thanksgiving day. Yes, we yes. are going to the risk management side of the input markets with Adriano Santos from FBN next here on Agritalk.
1: Find out whose fence they're perched on today on Agritalk.
0: Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm your host, Chip Florey. Thanks for being with us on this Thanksgiving. I had a chance to catch up with the people at Farmers Business Network. Joining us now is Adriano Santos. He's the U.S. Country Manager for FBN. Adriano, when we take a look back at the 2022 spring and the disruptions to, in the supply chain, it, it, it was one of those things that left everybody scratching their head. Are we over that for 2023? I
4: would say, uh, Chip, um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Yeah. I would say that uh, this, most of the disruptions in the global supply chain are much improved uh, year over year, especially when you talk about products that are sourced out of China and Asia in general. There is a bit more stability coming out of that market. But when you think about the products and inputs uh, farmers buy that are typically sourced out of Europe, we have a few additional challenges, right? The cost of uh, energy in Germany, as, uh, as an example, has has uh, increased over 300%, right, from a, from an energy standpoint. So uh, basically, inputs that are produced in Europe are having maybe a a bigger impact. So what is hard for farmers to sort through is what products are gonna be a little harder to get or have some more pricing stability than others. And it's really um, a conversation that's specific product to product because it it, it depends on the specific global supply chain for each one of those active ingredients, right? Like I said, the the ones that are typically sourced uh, from Asia, are looking a bit more stable right now in 23 so a little bit easier to get with a bit more stability from a price standpoint the ones coming out of uh, europe uh, on the other hand uh, it's a lot more speculation there's a little bit more constraints on um, on production and and how easy it is to access those uh, those products
0: okay let's talk specifically about china if we can because of their covid policy i mean adriato i don't know if we can trust anything that's coming out of of china right now as far as the supply goes because what's available today might not be available tomorrow if they shut things down
4: absolutely that's a great point uh well i think one of the things we learned from COVID and then also from this uh ukrainian war is that nobody really knows what's going to happen and i think that uh asia and china in particular is a great example of that there is uh, definitely still turmoil and tension with the Taiwan, there is uh, challenges on the housing market in China. Yeah, uh, there is, there there is uh, definitely possibilities for all kind of th- different things to, to happen. So, what we're being recommending to the to our farmers and our uh, members is to make sure you take advantage of what you know today, right? Today, the market, including FBN in particular, have, have great offerings. Uh, also, access to financing, which is not something zero percent financing, which is not which is not easy. So, if farmers want to de risk their operation. And not necessarily assume that China will be stable because that hasn't been the case over the last few years. I think um, I think it's really good to hedge uh, bats and minimize risk by taking a position um, early with what you know. Uh, it's kind of what we've been asking farmers to think through. Right? Um, it's never a bad decision to to uh, you know make a make a make a decision on what you know uh, today without ne- necessarily expecting anything different.
0: You know, Adriano, you may, you just brought up an interesting point. You just talked about inputs and managing risk. The availability of products and the tools that farmers need to, to produce a crop, the availability has never been considered much of a risk until this last year. And it is a risk that demands management now
4: absolutely uh, availability uh, of product was a, a major issue last year right it was really yeah. hard to get a- access to pretty much anything from herbicides to fungicides to biostimulants and adjuvants uh, this year like i said the outlook looks a little bit more promising yeah but reality is nobody nobody really knows right so what we have done as a farm business network is that we have developed a network of suppliers across the entire world and uh, we try to do risk our ability to get supply available for farmers last year i think we became fairly famous from having uh, availability of yeah. pretty much uh, everything that's right. and we didn't have to to basically turn down a farmer but not one single farmer last year who had purchased from us we basically deliver everything that we that we promised um, but to your point the instability of supply availability which is new to our industry is something that we don't necessarily expect to be the same level as it was last year but like I mentioned for some of the uh, active ingredients typically sourced out of uh, Uh, Europe in particular, uh, there are concerns and we are trying to take an early position so we can have that supply available for farmers when the time comes, right, for products to be sprayed or planted.
0: Yeah. Okay, so when I think about risks that maybe need to be managed on 23 crop, I'm going straight to the rail situation, Adriano.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. If there is anything that happens with rail, the entire industry will be impacted, right? I think the most impacted products will be the ones that are typically sold in bulk Right, and, and and part of uh, our strategy has been to to try and have options. So most of our uh, logistical network that we build is is based on an e-commerce model as opposed to a traditional agricultural model. Okay. Most of the products we sell, if not all of them, are sold and stored in totes, uh, drums, and two and a half. and So we have less depe- dependency on on rail, and we are typically positioned to overcome some of the some of those those challenges. But A rail strike or some sort of instability on the rail industry will will hurt us. No, no, no doubt. (laughs) No doubt. I think the industry can get ready for it. it. It goes back to the conversation we had, which is: you know your prices today, you know access to cash today, you know your situation today. Lock in some of your inputs early make sure you're de-risking your operation, right? By doing that, so you are you are you, you'll be in a better spot if any of those challenges whether they are rail or global supply chains happen in season, you'll be in a better spot if you if you take an early position.
0: A year ago, as soon as somebody got physical ownership, it was in the shed. That's when they felt like they were safe with that product. Is that important just getting taking delivery of it as soon as you can?
4: I think, uh, yes, two things that are important on that area is uh, make sure you lock in your commitments early and you take the liver as early as you can. That's absolutely important. I think that one of the, the, the tools for risk management that Farmer Business Network has provided today is uh, is around price protection, right? There is a lot of uh, anxiety around uh, what are the global trends as it relates to price. So for a lot of our inputs, in particular, with our two brands, Farmers First and Wheeler Wood brands, uh, we are offering price protection. So okay. there is. Absolutely no reason a farmer shouldn't go and lock it in, right? Purchase the product, take the delivery, right? Get that on your shed. And then if prices go down, if farmers' business network will stand behind uh, the farmer and, and give that credit back, if uh, for some reason the the price of those inputs continue to drop, the farmer's not going to lose. Uh, again, it's limited to our uh, Brenda products, Wheel of Wood products, and farmers first, but it's absolutely a great offering for a risk management standpoint. It's uh, absolutely the way to go. Yep those
0: operating loans aren't getting any cheaper either.
4: Absolutely not. And uh, uh, operating loans, uh, especially at zero percent, right? So we have, uh, this is something that we launched this year that's new. We didn't have operating loans last year. Uh, We are, we have a very extensive offer for operating loans uh, available for farmers. Uh, They apply online. It's a, it's as simple of a process as can be, right? They apply apply online, they can have their, their uh, approval uh, right there. And then after sending a few documents, very simplistic process, they'll have access to cash. It can happen as, as quick as one day. Um, they have access to cash. They can buy inputs from uh, FBN. They, they have to buy up to 40, $45,000 or more by December 9th, and then they qualify for 0% financing throughout the year, only to be paid by March of 24. So okay. it's an absolutely great offering when rates are between 8 and 10% today.
0: All right. What else would you tell... If a producer, an FBN member, whatever, what what they need to be thinking about right now for that 23 season.
4: Uh, Chip, I think uh, right now, I mean, it is the time of the year where farmers yeah. should be sitting down and doing the overall crop planning, yep. right? They need to be sitting down and figuring out uh, out of the operation what crops they're going to plant, in which acres, what yep. products they're going to need. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about is in November 1st, we launched a tool on, the, on our FBN.com website that's called the Acre Pack. Okay, and, yep and I don't know if you' heard of it, but yep. acre pack is has been a, a, been a great success uh, since we launched it. We have never had such a comprehensive approach to uh, the buying experience from a farmer's standpoint. So what acre pack does for you is exactly what you talk about. Yeah. It's a crop planning tool primarily. So the farmer goes online, pick the acre pack, decide which crop they're going to plant, let's pick corn. how many acres they want to plant for and then the, the store, the website yep. will help them go through product selection, what rate to apply, once they, they select the rate, which, which is also, uh, you know, bound by the label, right there, very easy way to do it. They can then, after they pick the first herbicide, they go to the next products, which they store will suggest, right? Yeah. We'll have very, very handy uh, fungicides, uh, adjuvants, biostimulants, insecticides.
0: Well, the way I understand it, it's kind of a guide to decision-making for the year ahead.
4: Absolutely, guide yeah. to decision-making. You can do use that as a crop planning tool and reserve what you want to do on your cart. Yeah. But as the farmer does that, which is again is an ergonomic support to the crop planning process, as they as they start to check out, they can they can access operating loans and input loans as a form of payment. It's all right there. Uh the acre pack provide additional discounts on every input they're buying, right? It's an economic advantage for the farmer yeah. to be using the tool we built. So they have basically a fantastic offering, a very very priced position which FBN is known for, right? We always have extremely competitive input pricing. Yeah. Uh, they have access to finance, uh, financing options uh, right there digitally. And they can do the entire crop planning, reserve for later, or check out right on the right on the spot and get that product delivered the date they pick. Yeah. Right? As they check out, they can pick the date the one they want that deliver to happen, and we're going to get it done.
0: Adriano, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you, man. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. All right. That is Adriano Santos, U.S. Country Manager at FBN.
2: The propane farm incentive program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com/farmincentive to see if you're eligible. This from the Smithsonian at si.edu. The first
1: Thanksgiving service known to be held by Europeans in North America occurred on May 27, 1578 in Newfoundland, although earlier church-type services were probably held by Spaniards in what is now Florida. However, for British New England, some historians believe that the Popham colony in Maine conducted a Thanksgiving service in 1607. In that same year, Jamestown colonists gave thanks for their safe arrival. And another service was held in 1610 when a supply ship arrived after a harsh winter. Berkeley 100 settlers held a Thanksgiving service in accordance with their charter, which stated that the day of their arrival in Virginia should be observed yearly as a day of Thanksgiving. But within a few years, an Indian uprising ended further services. Thus, British colonists held several Thanksgiving services in America before the Pilgrims' famed celebration in 1621. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors.
0: Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Glad uh, that you are joining us on Thanksgiving 2022. So, last week, I had the opportunity to get down to Kansas City, the NAFB convention, and uh, have a conversation with the folks from FBN. And we're featuring them on our Thanksgiving Thanksgiving show. And joining us right now is Kevin McNew, Chief Economist there at FBN. Kevin, it's good to talk with you again, buddy. Chip, always a pleasure. Good to see you in person. Yeah, man. Okay. So, you know what? I'm going to jump straight to the 23 crop. All right? We just talked about some inputs with Adriano. Um, when you think about marketing the 23 crop, and we'll we'll come back to 22 crop, what are the major considerations that you've got in your head right now on 23 crop?
5: Yeah, I think you know the big thing is nitrogen prices, and you know nitrogen prices are going to be probably elevated going into 23. We know they're still elevated now. We're seeing anhydrous continue to kind of rise after backing down, uh, but I think from a market's perspective, what I'm watching is you know clearly what's going on in South America. We're in a third year in a row of La Niña. That spells problems for Argentina. Precipitation over the last 90 days in Argentina is about half what it normally is. So it's very much lending support, I think, to problems in South America. Second thing I'm watching is you know what will acreage be? Our farmers are telling us, based on early indications, they're going to go pretty hard into wheat. The only places we're seeing big increases in corn are the northern plains and upper Midwest where they struggled last yeah. year. Uh, and then finally, Ukraine. You know, we heard at the NAFB last night from some Ukrainian farmers who said you know, they were fortunate last year to get some of their inputs bought ahead of the, the March uh, you know, war conflict, but now we're into another year and it's going to be really challenging for them. And I think that also supports the market. So I don't see a lot of downside risk here for corn, even with 23 at at $6.
0: Okay, so what should we expect as far as supply out of Ukraine goes in the 2000, well, let's go late in the 2022-23 marketing year and into that 23 year.
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, we had had USDA kind of bumping up their 22 Ukrainian crop. It was better than they expected. You know, it's it's all kind of a wild card. We don't know what to expect, but you know, I do think as as this persists and the problems amplify, it's going to be harder and harder for them to supply the market. And so, I think you know, twenty two was a little bit of a, a dodge bullet for Ukrainian farmers, but twenty three, I think they're going to be full on in in kind of bad straits. So, I think that again lends support to the corn market.
0: Okay, <laughs> so that what, what's your timeline on the current? status of this corn market and that being $6 plus okay I mean is it a is it a is it this time next year we're still sitting at six bucks is it this time in 24 months we're still sitting at six bucks what kind of a timeline have you got on this
5: yeah I think right now the big headwind we have is lack of exports you know and that's yeah. tied to the U.S. dollar strength I mean the U.S. dollar is on a tear up 30 percent against the Japanese yen in the last year that is huge in terms of our ability to sell in the export market. So right now, you know, China doesn't need to buy a lot. Their internal prices are pretty, pretty decent. Um, you know, we do have some competition out of South America at the late end of their marketing season. But I think as the clock ticks closer to 23 and we get into the spring, I think things will look different. So I'm telling farmers, you know, hold tight on on marketing corn you know I don't think we need to get really concerned last few weeks have not been particularly good we see basis levels in the US just sky high you know Western Plains are just through the roof dollar a bushel higher on basis in some areas it's just really
0: solid let's talk about the basis as it is right now Kevin because um, I've had countless people come up to me and say if we've got a crop that this that's this damn big how come his base is so strong the crop isn't that damn big is it in 22 yeah
5: i mean we're sitting around 172 i don't dispute that right. you know that's I, not I a either that's not a that's not a good crop right and what i'll tell you chip is you know we we're, we're talking about kind of some long-term trends and what's been going on in supply and production across the globe uh, and use and we've seen the last 10 years where we've had really strong demand both from corn and wheat uh, and supply is not kept up that's a reversal of what we had the previous 10 years so I'm I'm thinking this is not going to reverse itself quickly we are in a tight supply demand situation I don't think that corrects itself quickly
0: When when you look at the feed grain balance sheet for the world and we are consuming more on an annual basis than we're producing it's kind of hard to break a market down exactly i mean that's that's basics 101 for, and, right? and and i shouldn't have said it not just for one year but for like three four consecutive years yeah i mean chip if you go back to 2000 i
5: mean you know, you remember the ratio you oh, live yeah. it you live in that area and that was really kind of the the epicenter of all of our problems starting august 2020 we had the ratio we've had you know, consistent crop losses from all major players in the last three growing seasons around the globe. You know, US, Brazil, Canada, Europe, you name it, across crops, we have not had really, really good yields or performance in any meaningful way. And I think that's catching up with us.
0: How is demand, okay, you mentioned it, demand kind of stinks right now. Is Is it because importers are waiting for a change in the market, or has there been some actual demand destruction out there? Yeah,
5: you know, that's still kind of hard to determine right now. We're still kind of early, but I don't think there's a ton of demand destruction going on. There's probably some at the margin. What I see as the big headwinds are the fact that our U.S. dollar is strong. We had you know the last part of the South America export season, and so I think that's hard for us to kind of compete right now. I think we're moving into a situation where probably JFM, you know, probably looks a lot better. You know, the river situation with our 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 barge costs so high really kind of was another catalyst for causing us to be uncompetitive in the global market. So we're starting to see FOB spreads between us and Argentina, us and Brazil improve, but they're still a little bit out of whack. So I think that trend of improving uh, U.S. competitiveness should improve over the next few
0: months. Okay, let's back up because when you talked about the 23 crop, you said, yeah, you know what? Let's be a little conservative, it's a little slow going on, on marketing. What about on 22 crop? Because you you've already said it, the basis is just screaming for guys to deliver corn. Right. You know
5: it gets really interesting now, Chip, with the dynamics we have and in inflation and interest rates and you know the cost to carry. You know farmers need to pencil that sucker out. And and you know as well as I do, it's like you know board spreads are not making money at eight percent operating loans. Uh, basis is super strong so I think farmers you know start to need to start thinking about that you know there's there's you know ways to kinda of reown it on the board whether it's straight futures or using calls or call spreads I think those are probably decent moves here with basis so exceptionally strong The board spreads are breaking down uh, I don't think I want to be storing physical grain too much if I'm a farmer
0: y- you know the uh, the attitude change that i'm picking up between the 22 crop marketing and 23 crop marketing some guys that have been doing this as long as you and i've been doing this kevin but others that have been doing it as long or if not longer oh i had rick brock on the show the other the other day and i mean that guy was just like yeah i'm not real interested in 23 crop I'm not interested in selling right now. Let's go ahead and pull take, take our our foot off the accelerator. And he's not alone. It it has. Uh, I kind of thought that it was going to be a get in early, get out early kind of situation on twenty three crop. But uh, I, that's that's not so much the case anymore. Now when 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 you're covering your inputs, it's okay to say, all right, if I'm writing a check for fifty thousand dollars for For inputs for 23 crop, let's go ahead and sell $50,000 worth of the the 23 crop. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when you got anhydrous at
5: $1,400 a ton, you got to do some penciling here. And I and I think you got to look at your margin. And so you're right. You know, looking at margin and profitability makes sense. Um, But yeah, I I know farmers are not always going to do that in lockstep. Buy inputs, sell the crop. But, you know, and I agree with Rick. It's like we're in a different paradigm. You know, we've, we've gone back and looked at 40 years of cycles in grain markets. You usually don't see bull markets last more than 12 to 18 months. We're now over two years into this market. This is a new market, Chip. You and I haven't seen one of these probably in our lifetime. No. And I think that's what's different.
0: That, that's what has me scratching my head. And I'll, I'll admit, I catch myself thinking about it. It can't last. It can't last unless the bull market ended and maybe we're starting a new one. When we're looking at uh, a carryover projection on 22-23 on corn, under $1.2 billion, that's barely pipeline. I don't even know if it is pipeline, Kevin.
5: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're under 10% stocks to use. That's tight you know, that's not 5% of, you know, say back in 2012, 2013, but it is tight. And, and again, I, I think if the U.S. dollar were cooperating better, we would be at a much different price point. As it is, we're at, you know, 650 or so on the board. I, I think if the U.S. dollar were to kind of correct, I don't know that it'll correct sharply, but I don't think the Fed's got to be as aggressive as what we thought, say, a month ago with inflation starting to show signs. So again, I, I've I want to be a little conservative and not really be aggressive about marketing 23 at this point.
0: That doesn't mean forget about your 23 crop marketing. Think about it every day. Think about it every day. But sometimes it's okay to decide to do nothing today.
5: Yeah, I agree and you know You've got you've got strategies that you can use, options and futures and things like that, um, and and I don't want to be an all or nothing marketer. Right. You know, you've got a big crop to sell. You know, do a little something. You know, like you said, if you're buying inputs. You got some of that yep. locked in. Do a little bit of your crop. Do Five percent, ten percent. Do a little something, but don't be an all or nothing guy.
0: Kevin, it's a joy to talk with you, buddy. Thank you.
5: Always a pleasure, Chip.
0: Kevin McNew, chief. Economist there at FBN. I'll be back with more agri talk here in a moment.
2: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
1: AgriTalk is brought to you by the nrcs conservation stewardship program which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches visit your local service center or farmers.gov today
0: welcome back to agri on this thanksgiving day glad that you decided to spend some of the day with us dr steve lerner the senior scientific and business advisor for Animal Health and Nutrition at Christian Hansen. Steve, it's good to talk with you again, welcome back. Thank you, Chip, happy to be here. All right. there's a theme that I'm trying to kind of pursue on the business side, get rid of the surprises. And when I take that over to Animal Health, if that animal can maintain a stable environment internally, that's the most efficient animal
6: we can find, isn't it? That is absolutely true, Chip. We know that producers want to talk about the typically measured variables of our industry efficiency of energy milk production or rates of gain but in fact it is the pains that they encounter where animals are spontaneously need to be called, or they have a gastrointestinal distress some problem that they need to solve and it takes a disproportionate amount of time and money to address it so the clever producer can do everything they can to reduce variation by providing things like effective probiotics or using effective silage inoculants to preserve nutrients and reduce the variation whether you're in a herd of dairy cattle, a lot of beef cattle, a flow of pigs or a flock of chickens. When you reduce variation by allowing animals to get what they need out of their feed then those animals are better able to defend themselves, are better able to resist those surprises you mentioned and perform exactly as expected. We put that whole idea into the supporting normal concept. We know the greater percentage of normal animals in any herd, lot, flower, flock, the greater the likelihood of economic success and it talks about the underlying efficiency of the operation which is the biggest driver of sustainability.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's exactly where I was gonna go Steve is on the sustainability side. It's not just a buzzword, it's not an eye-roller anymore, it is here, it is real, and it is an effort that is industry-wide. Maintaining that animal in in a I don't want to say a constant state because it's a biological being, of course there are going to be variations in how it is feeling, but the best that we can maintain it, it does fit into that sustainability
6: path. Absolutely. The idea of sustainability in animal agriculture, as you suggest, is here to stay. It is driven absolutely by efficiency. It starts with growing fields of nutrients. It it ends with harvesting the animals for food. The simple truth is the more carbon, hydrogen, oxygen and nitrogen the animals can get out of their feed and keep in their bodies to produce meat, milk and eggs, then the more sustainable the operation is. In fact, If you properly manage the nutrient use of feed by animals, then you can actually have a net cooling effect on the planet. You reduce your carbon footprint. You reduce the use of water. And if you don't think these are going to become important things now and in the immediate future, the train is going to run you over.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, you better get on board and and understand it, which means that there is new technology coming all the time in making that animal as efficient as they possibly can. Talk to us about what's happening at Christian Hansen.
6: We are now focused on the impact of our probiotic organisms, which are simply living microorganisms that when fed in an adequate amount, confer a benefit to the host the impact of these organisms on the micro-environment in the digestive system of the animals we're feeding. We know this microbiome, which is the entire set of the trillions and trillions of organisms, is absolutely essential in maintaining a healthy environment so that the feed can be digested properly, the nutrients can be absorbed properly, and the animal can maintain the barrier and immune functions that keep it safe in in the face of stressors. Our newest involvement is looking at that microbiome and try to determine what a properly balanced eubiotic microbiome is, meaning proper health, and the dysfunctional. We also know that not only do you talk about the microbiome affecting the gut, but there's this beautiful new data that we have evidence for of the gut microbiome brain axis, where you can actually improve not only how they do, but how they feel. Yeah. And we have tremendous evidence in birds and chickens reducing fighting behavior, improving eating characteristics. It is a, an amazing new field of research looking at the microbiome and its interaction on the brain. This is also being done in people looking at things like autism, and Alzheimer's and understanding how the microbiome and the probiotics people take can influence these conditions
0: and hey, we're talking about really heady stuff here but when we break it down we're talking about cow comfort in the dairy barn aren't we
6: A- absolutely yeah. if you have healthy animals that feel good yeah. they perform exactly as you expect you get as much of their genetic potential. And let's face it, if you talk about a dairy operation, for example, there's no such thing as an average cow. Whether you're in the dry off, you're at early lactation, she just calved, mid-lactation, they're a different animal almost every day. And making sure they can cope with what's going on in their physiology is something we focus on and why we believe so strongly in the use of effective probiotics.
0: This is fascinating work that's taking place, David. But there's a lot to be gained yet.
6: Absolutely. The, if you think 30, 40 years ago and talk about bacteria, the rule was disinfection. We kill germs. And today, we're now yeah. understanding how important the microorganisms that are in and on us and the animals in our care really are. And this is a new science. Yeah. But what I love most about Christian Hansen is our investment in the research to begin to understand that so that we can improve the efficiency and sustainability of our customers. Thank you so much for your time, Steve. My absolute pleasure, sir. All right. That is Dr. Steve
0: Lerner. He is the Senior Scientific and Business Advisor, Animal Health and Nutrition at Christian Hansen. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Uh, Come back tomorrow morning. We'll have more AgriTalk, 10.06 Central.